right now we have Mrs. Joan Shannon. Mrs. Shannon is an English teacher here at St. Edmund. Mrs. Shannon would like to welcome you to the studio. Thank you so much. It's nice to be here. Of course. Uh, so we just want to ask you a little bit about, you know, Catholic schools and uh, the faith and like Catholic Schools Week and how they've impacted your life. So first thing, did you go to a Catholic school? I did for my high school years. Up till then I was a public school student and I really was resistant to the Catholic school, the high school, but when I graduated and when I finally grew out of my rebellious period, I saw tremendous benefits from it. Did you grow up Catholic? I did grow up Catholic. Cradle, yep, <laughs> I did. Where did you grow up at? I don't think we well, mentioned. I was born in um, Lamar, Colorado, and when I was four, we moved to Decorah, Iowa. And um, it's funny because we had five children in my family. And in Decorah, the kids would always say, oh, you must be Catholic, you have five children. But then we moved to Dubuque when I was 12 years old. And interestingly enough, the kids would say, oh, you can't be Catholic, you only have five children in your family. <laughs> so I had a very dualistic, very interesting um, experience growing up in that way. Yeah, so now that you're here at St. Ed's, what did, you, what did you do before you came here? Well, before I came here, I, I'll first say that I'm a mother of seven, um, one deceased, and all of my children have gone to Catholic schools. I am so proud to say. Um, the first four, the biologicals, did not have a Catholic high school to go to, but the fifth my fifth son um, asked, he, he actually entreated us that he goes to Wallard in Dubuque and that he would live with my dad. So of his own accord, he chose um, to continue with a Catholic education. Awesome. So what brought you to St. Edmund? Well, I've always, I have a degree in secondary teaching in English, and I always thought that's what I was going to do, but after four years, and during this time, I, I got married to a pharmacist who one day said to me, hey, let's buy a pharmacy. And because I'm a member of the Baby Boomers, there really weren't a tremendous um, amount of teaching jobs. And I said in my customary way, sure, why not? <laughs> so from that point on, um, we owned and operated two businesses, a pharmacy and a home health supply. And I managed the home health supply, and I, my life took a completely different turn than it ever would have, you know, I would ever would have dreamed possible. We sold it about three and a half years ago, and we both needed jobs. And so my husband had found what turned out to be a temporary job at Daniel Pharmacy. We didn't know it at the time, but one day he called me and he said, he said you think Wallert's something, you should see this Catholic school here. And I said, what? Go back to that, say that again. And he said, it's, it's just beautiful inside. I, I, I can't remember the reason he had to go in, but I'm gonna tell you the light bulb went off in, in a, a, you know, a huge LED, just a huge light. And so I made a phone call the next day um, and I talked to Jennifer Kinney and she directed me um, what to do next, and lo and behold, I was hired as, an, as a religious teacher, as I've had a, an extensive 
background with religion as well. Me and Brock were some of your angel students in that class. <laughs> Whether you know it or not, you boys, you boys changed my life for the better. Oh. Truly for the better. It was, it, you know, when I was going through it with all my classes, I thought, I don't know if I can live through this. In the beginning, but I'll tell you what, you taught me so much about 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 the importance of, of keeping young. I mean, you gave me back, in a way, my youth. You gave me back, in a way, my son, who was killed. You entertained me. Um, it was just pure delight. You know, by the time the year came to an end, I can honestly say there was a tremendous amount of love in that classroom. Well, as you just mentioned, your son, I know that it's only strengthened your faith. I wanted to know if you wanted to talk about it at all. Oh, would I ever. Um, you know, I never have had this chance. And, and most parents get to see the outcome of, of what all those years in Catholic education, you know, becomes. You get to see because the script isn't thrown out like it was with my son, Stephen. Um, to make a long story short... Um, he, I always knew he, he was going to be a soldier in some capacity. And let me tell you, God has a sense of humor because I was a pacifist. If there was something to protest, I hopped on a bus and I protested. Even when there was nothing to protest, I found things to protest. And lo and behold, my beautiful little firstborn son, Stephen, came into the world using every gadget known to man as a gun. He, he was sent home in shame in preschool because the kids worked together to build a cardboard brick wall, and he kicked it all to smithereens. <laughs> and I really, really struggled because I, I didn't understand him. I, he was such a... He, he was so different from me. He just needed to... Basically, what it amounted to is he constructed, but he also deconstructed. And I didn't understand it until after he was gone. But eventually, he joined um, the Army Reserves. And he was, I think I want to say, 19 or 20. And I didn't fight it, because by that time, you know, when I was resisting the soldier part of him and saying, you can't use that as a gun, you can't do that, you can't do that, and somebody took me aside and said, that's what boys do, that I, I really cooled it, and I let him be become who, who he was becoming. And he was always still a mystery to me, as it was all revealed, as his personality was revealed. But on the day that he signed the papers for the military, I did not go with him. My, my dad did, who had actually been in the Air Force for a number of years. So I, I retreated into myself because at that time, as we know, as many of us know, the Iraq War was going on. And I, I believe I chose denial or maybe I deluded myself. Um, I... I, I didn't want to believe that what he was going to be doing could end his life. And, but what I did do is I, I tried to engage him in conversation as often as possible. And I, I prayed like any mother, like any Catholic mother does. So um, on the last, with, without my knowledge, it was the last conversation we had and he had had extensive training. 
um, we were sitting out in our backyard, and and he's he wasn't a real talkative guy, at least to me. He was to his friends, but not to me. And for some reason, he started talking about about you know the need to kill. And I kind of thought, well, now's a heck of a time to think of that. I mean, but I didn't say that to him. I listened, and he he definitely. He definitely knew what he was getting into. And I said, ultimately, whatever, whatever it is you need to do, you will know it at the time when you get there. Don't worry about that right now. Just, just do what you need to do. Well, three months went by again. Call it delusion, call it denial. But all I did was pray. He would call maybe once a week if he could. There was such a delay on the phone system, it was, it was very difficult um, to really have a conversation. He certainly wasn't writing letters. Um, he had had a new girlfriend, so I know that she was the one getting the letters and the emails, and I was okay with that. I was happy for them. But it turns out, um, I guess I'll start with, with um, my prayers. I. Some, on some level, I knew something was up, not consciously. But I would leave um, from the store every day around noon, and I, I rarely went home for lunch, but I needed to go home. And I would fall on my knees, and I would just beg God, please, just, just, just let him live. Just. But I knew, I knew. And shortly before January 31st, and this will be the 14th anniversary um, coming up this Sunday, um, shortly before there was some, some strange occurrence that I had that I surrendered. I said, all right. And I, I knew nothing about, he, I had no reason to think something was gonna happen as far as what he was telling me. But I, uh, I surrendered and I said, all right, you can have him if you, if you have to, but don't let him suffer. And I went back to work and I was in peace. And two days later, um, we had a knock on our door. And it was funny because no one, no one would answer it. And we had, you know, my six kids, well, no, there were just the four kids at home and my husband and me. And we all acted as if there, we, it was you know, 6.45 in the morning, like we didn't have a care in the world and there wasn't a knock at the door, but there was a knock at the door. And finally, my husband went and answered it and he said, oh God, Joan, oh no. And there were two uh, officers at our door and they came in and they told us the news. Um, and just for background, Stephen was what's called a combat engineer. Um, many soldiers have told me they're the ones that have all the fun. They're the ones that construct and they're the ones that deconstruct everything. So they were responsible for the IEDs. So, um, so we know that, that he was no longer in the physical realm at this point. But what is so amazing about this story of Stephen is how he had in fact unbeknownst to me, his mother, and his father, and his sisters, and his brothers, that he had taken his faith over to this country, you know, probably, what, 9,000 miles away, 
And he didn't just talk about it. In fact, he didn't talk about it. He did things with it. And I'll tell you, the reason I can talk about this is time, but it's also pride. Because if I could have had one, one wish, it would have been that my son take his faith with him. And he, in fact, did. And it was all revealed by the other soldiers, you know, by so many, so many ripples that came from, from his death, almost like a stone into a pond. These ripples kept going and going and going. And, and I thought, you can't make this up. Stephen was truly a fisher of men. And I had no idea because I, I didn't know him in any capacity other than his, his devoted mother. That's it. That's what we mothers do. So on the night, on the night it turns out that he was, that he was killed by an IED. Um, he was the lead driver and their job at, in front of this huge medical convoy was to find any IEDs. They had to get all these supplies from point A way to point B and it, everything had gone wrong and when it blew um, nobody knew what had happened and the medic the medic went you know racing up to see what he could do to check you know everybody out and he apparently came out of the smoke carrying Stephen but nobody knew who it was at this point. But Stephen, in the arms of that medic, said, I, I want a priest. I want a priest now. And, and that was actually the, the second thing he said. He said, how are my, how are my guys? How are my guys? They'd all, all they received, they got concussions. They were better in two weeks. But the second thing was, I want a priest. And um, in that time, it turns out in that convoy, it, he was the only, um, there was the only priest in all of Iraq close by in, the, um, in that Ramadi region. And uh, interestingly enough, this very priest who came because Stephen had requested a priest, took one look at him and said, he doesn't need last rites. He doesn't need last rites because all he saw was a little entry. He didn't see what Stephen knew had happened because in an IED attack, it, it came up through the vehicle and through him. So he knew, but the priest didn't. And lo and behold, about a year and a half later, somebody sent my mother-in-law an article from the Chicago Tribune uh, that this priest, Father John Buckmeyer, um, who was in Iraq at this time, was actually the priest, and they had interviewed him, and he had mentioned that there was a soldier who he didn't want to give the last rites, and, it, and he mentioned Stephen in this. So when I talk about the ripples that came from all this, that's just one of, of many, many that, that just kept coming. So I was very, very proud of, of the fact that Stephen had the presence of mind at the age of 21 to know what he needed at this fatal moment in his life. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, obviously Stephen was a very integral part of your life, you know, and, and no parent wants to have this happen to your child, but, you know, seeing the fact that he was an inspiration to you and to his men by taking his faith with him, you know, was, was huge. 
And I just want to know how that strengthened your faith life personally. I'll tell you, God did not use me other than to observe the series of events that kept going from his death into my understanding that he was a fisher of men. Um, my faith, my faith deepened immeasurably. Um, the relationship that I'd always understood that I had with God deepened, and especially with Mary, because as a mother, I I would seek her out in church before and after mass, and again I would you know beg, please let him come back, okay. But that that you know I didn't expect anything to come back from his death, but I have been. Our family has been given so many gifts, and I do attribute a lot of them. I don't understand all of it. I don't have to. That's the beauty of our faith. But I get to be a part of this. I get to witness to others about this is, there's really something to this. And if I had more time, I could I could share more and more stories. It is my dream someday to jot these stories down. I, God knows my, my hope, but whether it comes to fruition, I don't know. But my faith is, is um, there's, you know, it's, it's raw, it's authentic. Sometimes, you know, it's funny because it's me. And I take my faith, though, wherever I go. And I, I could only say it has deepened my love for other people, my love for, for youth, um, but also for the military. I mean, just so much has has grown within me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so can you tell us how, like teaching at St. Edmund and, you know, and being here with your kids and sending them through the school has, has impacted your faith life, you know, for the better? Can you tell us about that? Well, interestingly, that was one of the big ripples. This started when Stephen through those emails and letters to his girlfriend, who we had never met, she wanted to meet us, and she wanted to give us all those emails that he'd written, and they were all ribboned, and they were beautiful. And she said, you know, I can't find it right now, but Stephen always said he wouldn't be surprised if you and Dan adopted again. We had adopted a, a, our, first, our fifth son, or our fifth child from Korea, and we both almost got whiplash. We whipped our heads together at the same time, like, we're not gonna, we can't still be parents, we're getting older. And interestingly enough, the seed was born at that point, Dan and I prayed on, if it be your will, God, it'll happen, and if it's not, it won't. So, lucky me, um, years later, um, we adopted Liam, uh, from Ethiopia and Mara from China and I am blessed enough to get to see these kids receive the whole shebang. They get the Catholic school that I wanted you know so badly for all my kids but they really get it. They get those the benefits and they get to be here and I tell them that frequently you don't have to go here, you get to go here. And you are blessed beyond measure. For sure. Well, Miss Shannon, I think we all were really inspired by our message today. 
I want to thank you for joining us today. Oh, you are so welcome. I think it's a great way, this message, to celebrate Catholic Schools Week. Thank you so much, boys. Thank you. With that being said, I'm Sean Flattery, joined with Brock Stonick, with Brady O'Brien behind Running the Tech, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us today. <laughs>